When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we welcome you to this edition of Tuesday People, the podcast. I'm your host, Mitch Album. Lisa Goitsch, my friend and producer of the program, is alongside as well. Hi, Lisa. Hey, Mitch. It's been a big week for you. Your book is uh, soaring on the charts. Number one on Amazon I saw this week. Well, uh, it's been a busy week for sure. Um, When a new book comes out, I liken it to sometimes giving birth to a baby for, for an author, but when mothers give birth to babies, they don't then take them to New York and go on every talk show they possibly can go on. <laughs> uh, they're usually allowed to have some nice moments of quiet with the baby, you know, bonding, getting right. to know one another. That is not what happens when a book comes out. Um, you basically, the book comes out and you start running and you run to anywhere where somebody will listen to you uh, because in today's world, it's very hard to get people's attention, even for a couple of seconds, to just let them know yeah. that something's available, um, let alone get them to read something or do it, but just to even know that something exists, you know? Yeah, um, there's a lot of noise out there. Yeah, well, there's just so many, you know, I understand that. Everybody is sort of competing for everybody's attention. But I learned this the hard way, sort of after I had published, I don't know, five or six books, uh, I would run into people and they would say, oh, I, I love your book. And I would say, oh. <laughs> oh, thank you. And they'd say, yeah, Tuesdays with Maury. Have, are you going to write anything else? And, ah. you know, there already have been five books <laughs> yeah. since then. And uh-huh. <laughs> uh, you realize, wow, you know, this is someone who was taking the effort and time to tell you that they love your books or love your writing. And they don't know that you have yeah. written all these other books. Imagine people who have never heard of you. How, how could they yeah. possibly know? So it taught me a good lesson about if you believe in what you're doing and if you believe in the books that you're writing um, and you want them to be read by as large an audience as, as is possible, and obviously not people who don't want to read it, which is fine, but anyone who might, you want to at least let them know that it's there. Uh, and yeah. as, as the Tuesdays with Maury audience grew so, uh, so greatly and so widely, there were that many more people to try to let to know that something was there. And so, it has turned into every time a book comes out, that many more sort of obligations, visits, interviews, podcasts, sit-downs, radio shows, TV shows, excerpts, yeah. print interviews, yeah. things like that. And it's fine. It's a blessed thing to have. It's yeah. a nice problem to have. It makes you a little tired. Other than that, I'm grateful every single day to have the opportunity. I am tired for you. I see your calendar. Your calendar and my calendar are together. They all come together on Google. And uh-huh. I have to tell you, it makes it makes me get a little hives looking at your schedule. You're, <laughs> you're uh, kind of uh, bionic, I think. Well, there are I times where I, I get hives looking at it, too. So, um, <laughs> But it's all good. And uh, we've done a lot of things with The Stranger in the Lifeboat. And we're going to do our third and final 
uh, sort of installment of Tuesday People podcast that revolves around The Stranger in the Lifeboat. There's one um, sort of overriding lesson that I want to uh, share. It goes back to Tuesdays with Maury. And in point of fact, I think it's fair to say that I've written now 10 books, nine since Tuesdays with Maury. And in every one of the nine that followed Tuesdays with Maury, I would say that there are many elements of Tuesdays with Maury in those books. It's as if mm-hmm. I'm writing a new book each time, but I'm also writing a little bit of Tuesdays with Maury over again, if you know what I mean. Right. Um, I'm, re- I'm revisiting the lessons. I'm revisiting the time we spent. And um, last week we talked about the distance between life and death maybe not being as great as we thought. And that was a, a, a concept that came from Maury. I mean, he really almost said it verbatim uh, towards the end when he was saying, I'm wondering if the distance between life and death isn't so big. Maybe we yeah. just make a, have a slight shift in our consciousness and then, you know, we're in a different place, but we're not a hundred million miles from earth, uh, you know, no yeah. connection to... Uh, the people that we loved here, no connection to this world or anything like that. And, and none of our memories, we don't take anything from here with, who knows? Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe you just continue on some journey that that's the next step. So we talked about that. Today, I want to share with you a concept and, 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 and put this in your head um, that had a lot to do with why I wrote this book and I tried to put it into a small section where you might not even realize that that's what this is about. Uh, but if I read it to you, then maybe you will. So let me set the stage for you. There are 10 people on this lifeboat after a yacht explosion. And they uh, it's a very rich yacht with very rich people. But it exploded mysteriously. And the survivors were out in the sea. They found their way to a life raft crawled inside of it. There were 10 people. Five of them were the rich guests and and the owner of the boat. And the others were staff members who had kind of been on, you know, working on the boat. And they're out at sea for three days without any help. There's nobody coming for them, no planes, no boats. They're running low on water and food. There are sharks in the water and they're desperate and they're crying out and they suddenly see a man bobbing in the water in the middle of nowhere and they get to him they pull him in he's a young guy with no nothing distinguishing kind of average looking average in every way and they start peppering him with questions where'd you come from how'd you get in the water and he doesn't say anything and finally one of the passengers says well thank the lord we found you and that's when he speaks and he says i am the lord and the book takes off from there in terms of as the days pass out at sea, these people are trying to make up their mind who this guy is. How did he get there? Could he possibly mm-hmm. be who he says he is? They don't think so because he doesn't look like they think God would look. He doesn't act like the way they think God would act. He gets hungry. He gets thirsty. He falls asleep a lot, sometimes in the middle of their sentences. He doesn't have flowing robes. He doesn't have long white hair. He doesn't, doesn't, he doesn't look the part. He doesn't fit the part. He doesn't anything. And so they have varying degrees of confidence in him. And when they say to him, are you going to save us? 
He says, I can only save you if everyone in this boat believes I am who I say I am at the same time. And of course, that's quite a challenge for 10 people to do at the same time because they all have different levels of, you know, their own backgrounds, their own things that they bring to the table, their own history with faith or religion. And so they have a lot of problems with him. Yeah, it's like a jury. Yeah, it's like you're sitting on a jury. Uh You're right. You're right. (laughs) Exactly. So, and of course, things happen and keep happening that make them question him. Uh, They ask, well, if you're God, do you answer all prayers? And he says, "I yes, I answer every prayer, but sometimes the answer is no. And, Ah, mm -hmm. you know, it sets them back. But if you really think about that, that's true. You know, there are many times where we ask for things that are just impossible, or we ask for things that are at odds maybe with what somebody else wants, you know, like, Mm -hmm. uh, please, God, make this man love me. You know, well, what yeah. if that man is praying to, you know, to love somebody else? And when, you know, wishes can't, or I always use what the one about base, uh, baseball teams. <laughs> yeah, I always use the one about baseball teams where they, when the team wins, says God was, you know, this is God's will and God wanted us to win. And I said, Yeah, that's always a weird one to me. Yeah. Did God want the other team to lose? What did they do <laughs> he wrong? They hated the other team. Yeah. Yeah. It means that every, <laughs> that's, always if that's true. It means that every game there's somebody that God is ticked off at and that's why yeah. they lose. Yeah. Like he's yeah. up there. Maybe he so, had bets on the other team, having right. bets. Yeah. <laughs> so there's issues that they have, but one of the issues that they have on the boat as the days pass and they they get thinner and thinner and they, you know, there's less and less of anything to eat or drink and they get more despairing. Things happen. And at one point uh, in the middle of the night, uh, one of the members of the castaways, a Haitian cook, uh disappears. They wake up and mm-hmm. he's gone. And at first they don't know where he went. And then Benji, the guy who's writing the notebook that keeps an account of what's happening on the boat, he opens his notebook and he finds a note that's scribbled on the pages oh. of his notebook. And that's what I'm going to read you from here. And I'll tell you why when I'm done. This is what I found in my notebook the morning Jean-Philippe disappeared. He wrote, Dear Benji, When you were sleeping, I think a lot. I reach into the water to touch the blue light. Suddenly I see a big fish. It swims close to the boat. I take the paddle and I wait. It comes back and I hit it hard. I hit it just right. It stops swimming and I grab it. I feel happy because there's fish to eat, but sad because I killed it. I do not want to be in this world anymore, Benji, taking things. I want the last thing I do to be giving. You and the others, please, eat this fish. Stay alive. I want to be with my wife, Bernadette. I know she is safe. I think last night she let me see heaven, and she is saying God waits for me. I pray you get home. I left the fish in the bag. May the Lord protect you, my friend. Mm. I closed the notebook and dropped my head. I cried so hard my chest hurt, but my eyes stayed dry as dust. This is how empty I have become. I have no water left for tears. That was yesterday. This morning I was staring at those pieces of this fish that Jean-Philippe left for us when the Lord slid over and leaned against the raft edge. His mop of hair was wet and shiny, and his dark beard was now quite thick. Did you know about Jean-Philippe? I whispered. 
I know all things, he said. How could you let him take his life? Why didn't you talk him out of it? He looked me straight in the eyes. Why didn't you? I began shaking with rage. Me? I couldn't. I didn't know. It was something he decided to do on his own. That's right, the Lord said softly. He decided to do it on his own. I glared at him then, this haughty, deluded stranger who enjoyed acting as if he manipulated the world. At that moment, I felt nothing but contempt. If you were really God, I seethed, you would have stopped him. He looked to the sea and shook his head. God starts things, he said. Man stops them. Mm. Now that's the ringing sentence that I want to examine here today. I want to explain what I meant when I wrote that and why I think that that's true. When we get angry at God or the universe, whatever you choose to believe in that might be controlling our, our fate beyond ourselves, it seems to always be when we don't get something, when we lose something, when something mm-hmm. stops. And we blame the universe for when things stop. At the ultimate edge of this, of course, is a life, you know, when a life stops. But there are other things, you know, when you lose a job, you know, when you break something you that you really liked, yeah. yeah, you lose somebody you love, whatever. It's always, it's always, God, you're stopping things, you're stopping things. The truth of it is, though, we have, in my opinion, anyhow, in this world, and I know Maury felt this way because we spoke about this a lot, we have in this world all the resources we need to make a perfect world. Mm-hmm. We really do. We have more than enough food to feed every hungry person on this planet. If that became a priority for us, there would be no hunger. Nobody would be hungry. Mm-hmm. Nobody would be hungry because we know how to, we have enough food and we know how to do it. We have more than enough intelligence and research to be able to beat any disease. Look at what we just did with this vaccine. In a year, something that normally takes a decade, we concentrated our efforts and figured out a way to vaccinate against this disease. If we pooled all of the resources we had worldwide, don't you think we could figure out cancer rather quickly? And whatever else we could get. If everybody worked together and countries were working in tandem and, and we've devoted all the money that we spend on so many other things, we would be able to cure that. We have the resources mm-hmm. to feed people, to heal people. We, we, we have enough wealth that everybody could live comfortably if they wanted to. And yet we mm-hmm. don't. Why? Because we make choices. We choose to be more selfish. We choose to pursue our own pursuits and satisfactions we'll be back with more tuesday people right after this we meaning mankind, are the people who made guns, not God, Mm -hmm. 
We're the people who made bombs, not God. We're the people who start the wars, not God. We're the people who made alcohol that people can overdo and die of, drive drunk. We're the people who made tobacco, Mm -hmm. cold tobacco, put it into cigarettes that people can smoke and kill themselves with lung cancer. We did all these things. We created all these things that end up stopping lives too soon or stopping other things. Why are we blaming God for this? We have free will. And with that free will comes the responsibility of choosing wisely. It goes back, if you're a Bible person, it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. The parable about Adam and Eve, right? Mm -hmm. You remember it, I hope. That's the first one. (laughs) Serpent offers an apple to Eve. She doesn't have to take it, but she does. Adam doesn't have to take it, but he gets talked into it. I do that every day with chocolate, by the way. Every day. (laughs) Every day. But right from the very beginning, there are people who wonder, why didn't God in that story just come down with a mighty hand and knock the apple out of Eve's hand? Right? That is what we would call divine intervention. That's what we would Mm -hmm. call, you know, interference. Come out of the blue knock the apple out of her hand. Now we won't have anything bad happen. Won't have anything bad happen. Didn't happen, right? Why? Well, according to the scripture, it's because God, after putting us here, gave us free will. It's like, okay, I'm giving you all the tools. I'm giving you all the material. Good luck. Let's see what you do with it. Let's see what you build. And I think... Whether Now, again, you don't need to believe in God to, to get this concept. You don't need to be of a particular faith to get this concept. You can just believe whatever it was, the universe, uh, evolution, whatever, but has left us on a planet where we have water, where we have food, where we have all the essentials that we need for survival and for survival for, for centuries more. Yeah, We have that. You don't need to believe in Jesus or or Buddha, or God, or anything like that, to believe that, yes, we have, we've been blessed somehow to be put on this earth with all this stuff, but we don't make the wisest choices with it. No. That's our doing. We stop things. Man stops things. And so the flip side of this is that we can make choices that better ourselves, We can make choices to build things instead of destroy things. We can make choices that start things instead of stopping things. Because that same free will works both ways. You have the free will to make the wrong choice. You have the free will to make the right choice, correct? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So when we reach our moments of despair, as I think I read last week, uh, from the stranger in the lifeboat, there's a moment where the God character um, is talking to Benji, the, the guy who's writing the notebook, about the death of his wife and why did she have to die? Why did she have to die? And he says, and I'll, I'll remind you, when someone passes, people always ask, why did God take them? A better question would be, 
Why did God give them to us? What do we do to deserve their love, their joy, the sweet moments that we shared? Didn't you have such moments with your wife? Every day, I rasped. Those moments are a gift, but their end is not a punishment. I am never cruel, Benjamin. I know you before you were born. I know you after you die. My plans for you are not defined by this world. And it goes on. But now, think about that. Mm -hmm. I am never cruel. I did not write that by accident. I don't believe that, you know how we say, oh, cruel, cruel fate. Cruel, cruel world. I don't think the world is cruel. But when you look at it as like, why is the question always, why did God take something from me? Why did the universe take something from me? Instead of, why did I get to have it in the first place? It'd be a little bit like, let's say you're a, you're a, uh, okay, you're a good friend. Um, you help out your friend by watching their baby, right? And they bring their baby over and say, you know, we're really busy. Can we bring the baby over and we're going to be gone for the day? And can you just watch the baby for the day? And you say yes. And during that time, you have a magnificent time with the baby. Baby's just fun and laughing and loving and holding. You just feel great. And it's just wonderful, you know, the affection that the baby shows you and, and the play and the way you forget your troubles and forget the, forget the adult issues and you're just trying to entertain mm-hmm. a child, right? And then at the end of the day, the parents come back and they say, thanks so much, I really appreciate it, and they take the baby. Do you sit there and go, why was that baby taken from me? Why was the baby taken? I was enjoying myself. Why was the baby taken from me? Now, that's how children do it. You give a yeah. child a toy. They play with the toy. They enjoy the toy. Then if you say share it with somebody else, they start crying. No, yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to share it. You're taking it from me. They don't say, okay, yeah, share it with somebody else because 20 minutes ago, I didn't have this. Right. You gave right. it to me. I only have this because you gave it to me. We are always telling children that. We're always telling children, don't don't be selfish. You just got that gift. You're lucky you got that gift. How often do we say that? You're lucky you got that gift. You need to share it with somebody yeah. else. We have that in us, but we don't act that way. So mm-hmm. when we have a job, a good job for a while, and then we get fired, something happens, we get fired. We look at it as, I got fired. Why did... The universe let me get fired. Why did God let me get fired? Why I'm so angry at getting fired. But you don't say, well, I had the job for three years. It was a good job. Maybe I didn't deserve the job when they first gave it to me. Or when I got it, there were other people who wanted this job and they didn't get it. I got it. So my getting it was sort of at their expense. Mm -hmm. But you know what? I had it for three years. Who was I to deserve that job for three years? I was blessed to have it for three years. And, I, you know, if it didn't go on forever, it didn't go on forever. But I, I still am grateful for the three years I had. Now, if you see people saying that, you're going to find people who are a lot less uptight, a lot less angry, a lot less vitriolic, not going to call into talk shows and blast their opinions or things like that, because they're what? Content. They're, they're happy with their lot. They're grateful that yeah. they had 
the opportunity to do whatever they just had the opportunity to do. They don't, they're grateful that the baby came over for the day. Not, mm-hmm. why are you taking the baby away? But now I know that sounds silly, right? It's like, well, what do you mean? Why that would be baby? odd I mean, if we could they do just, that. They just <laughs> brought fun. <laughs> yeah, they just brought the baby over for a day. I mean, you don't own it. You, it's not your right. You're not entitled right. to it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. We don't own happiness. We're not entitled to happiness. We don't get to say because we had a little happiness in a day that then when it stops, it's being taken from us. Yeah. Right? Do you understand that, that subtle difference? To be able to say, yeah. well, I'm not going to look at it as it was taken from us. I'm going to look at it as it was given to us. That I had it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I had it. And I learned from it. And I enjoyed it. And now I will be given something else, hopefully. Right. When I wrote the book Finding Chica, it was extremely hard to start, but it wasn't hard to finish. It was hard to start because I was writing from pain. The death of our little girl, only a year or so earlier, and I'm sitting down and remembering and writing it, and there was so much pain to get out of my system, so much grieving to get out of my system. But when I got to the end, I already knew how I felt, and I had made a certain kind of peace with it, And so I was able to end the book with a couple of sentences that are pretty basic. We did not lose a child. We were given one. And she was Mm -hmm. glorious. We did not lose a child. We were given one. And she was glorious. Those are the last three sentences Mm -hmm. of Finding Chica. And I think that that's true. We didn't, by the end, we were able to look at it as like, we're not losing this child we yeah. were lucky to have her for the two years. We got to be a family, my wife, a little, little chica, and me. In our in our mid late fifties, we suddenly got to be this nuclear unit of a family, mm-hmm. and she was happy all the way through it. And we were lucky to have her. Lucky to have her. Lucky to go through that. So we didn't lose. We gained. We didn't have yeah. something taken. We had it given. Now, if you can apply that to other elements of your life and look at those elements as saying, I didn't lose something, I was given it in the first place and who knew how long it was going to last. Maybe I thought originally it would only last for five days and it lasted for six months. That's good. I thought it would last for six months, it lasted for three years. That's even better. Right. Right? So if it's more about the attitude than the taking. Yeah, it's hard to do though. Sometimes, you know, it's hard. It's hard to get that mindset. Uh, you really have to practice it, I think, and you have to practice it from the simple things every day that we do, right. leading up to the complicated things like losing chica. You know, that would be the other end of the spectrum. Right. Uh, but I think if we start small, we can um, we can maybe learn how to set our minds in that that direction. Agreed. And starting small is is the best approach be grateful for what you had you 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 uh you have a watch you love that watch it works for 10 years then it breaks i love that watch damn it it broke no (laughs) not damn it it broke you know i got 10 years out of that watch that was great i I enjoyed that watch i'll get another watch now but i had 10 good years with that watch that was that was really something animals you know you go through this uh, people who love their dogs and cats with Always. with a, with a with a you know passion 
Hey, if a dog lives to 13, 14, that, that's an extraordinarily long life. And if yeah. you get to be with that dog for 13 or 14 years, when that dog passes away, should you really go comatose? Should you not yeah, be able no. to do anything? Or can you say to yourself that I had a pleasurable, loving companion for 13 years, which is more than a lot of humans can say, and I'm grateful for the 13 years that we had. If that, if you can figure out how to make that louder in your ears than the part about what you lost, then you have really found a true secret to happiness, a true secret to happiness. So when we say man, God stops, starts things, man stops them, that's what we mean. The credit goes to other places in the universe besides ourselves. And uh, we can't control everything, but we can control the attitude we have towards everything. And an attitude where you say, I was lucky to have that, I was blessed to have that, will get you a lot further than the attitude that says, how could you take that from me? I don't think we're going to like the answers, how could you take that from me, if those are the questions we have at the end of our life. How could how could the universe, you know, make me lose that refinery, you know, that I had all that money tied up in? How could the universe, you know, make me, I don't know, have those people angry at me? I didn't do anything. Well, maybe you did do something. You know, it's, it's just, hard, though. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. I, I mean, it, it's sort of a loss of control, too. I think that's where some of the problem lies, you know, whereas if you quit a job, you can be more grateful for that job. But when that job is taken from you, you feel that you've lost control in making that decision, you know. Unless you didn't have that control circle. to begin with. Right, that's true. And that's what we think about, have you it. know. Yeah. yeah. We, we, we think about that a lot when we, uh, you know, when we lose a loved one. And we say, you know, why, you know, I should have done something. But what well, wasn't in your control? Mm-hmm. And it's not something that you ever had the option of saying, all, all I have to do is what? You know, fill out some more forms or, or go to church more times and, and that person will be alive. No, if you believe yeah. in that, you believe that that's part of God's grand scheme and people are taken when they're taken. It's not out of neglect on something you did. Mm-hmm. So there you have it, man. When we say God starts things, man stops them. That's what we sort of mean is don't blame the universe for things that it's not responsible for. And look at the things that we started ourselves and see if that isn't the cause, perhaps, of some of your unhappiness, if there is any. This is all from The Stranger in the Lifeboat, my new novel, which is out now across the land in different bookstores which of which you can find them on the internet you can find them if you're listening to us internationally there are ways to get books sent over from some of the independent bookstores here in America check that all out we'll be back before you know it with another Yay. edition of Tuesday People until then with Lisa Goich I'm Mitch Album saying, see you next Tuesday. Thank you for listening to Tuesday People. To be part of our conversation, join the Tuesday People community at wetuesdaypeople.com. 
Subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode and share it with your friends. We look forward to having you with us every Tuesday because, after all, we're Tuesday people.